We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. My earliest memories are of you know, my mom sitting me and my brothers around the piano and teaching us music theory from like, you know, where's, how do you find middle C on the piano? How do you, you know, construct the chord? How do you go from major, minor, diminished, augmented chords, major seventh, all that. And then um, teaching us songs, Stevie Wonder songs and stuff. So um, it was her way of just depositing everything that she had to offer into us. And it happened to be during a time when Pops was locked up. You know what I'm saying? So. It was more important that we had that outlet because once we got outside, it was kind of like a free for all in terms of like, you know, kids, they don't have no filter. They'd be like, your daddy in jail. You know what I'm saying? So then you just hop off and you fight, you know, but at home. So it was just that duality. Um, music in the house was the therapy for all the crazy stuff that was going outside, you know, in the neighborhood, you know, us being the kids who everybody knew our pops was locked up. You know, it's no secret. D Smoke is the champion of Rhythm and Flow, Netflix's super entertaining rapper reality competition show. And he's an MC's MC from LA who knows all about music theory, how to be a great teacher because he works in public schools, and he knows about the streets of LA. All of that is great training for an MC. He's a fascinating guy and an MC on the rise. It's D Smoke on Torre Show. Yo, I watched the show. It was really powerful and interesting, and it didn't feel like a corny reality show. It felt like a real reality show, and definitely a show where you and the other folks were going at each other creatively mm -hmm. and trying to win, but had respect for each other and felt like we are in it together. Um, Absolutely. Did it feel like that uh, behind the scenes as well? Absolutely. It was um, on the on the early tip. It was a little bit chaotic because it was just so many people in one room. Like I, it felt like I was being I was part of an experiment. Like, all right, let's put them all in a in a room. Let's put thirty two rappers in a room with all red walls and see how they respond. <laughs> you know, to the heat of the situation. So um, at first, it was like if you notice in the early early parts. I kind of stayed to myself. You won't catch me on camera other than like my performance moments. It wasn't until it narrowed down um, to a place where we could actually connect with the people around us that it was like, okay, I'm a little bit more vocal. I'm a little bit more social. So, um, but at those stages, yes, there was some, uh, some legitimate connections that happened because 
Um, everybody, I think everybody that participated in the show, even on both sides, from the production to the participants, everybody was putting it on the line. Everybody was taking a certain risk because it was the first of its kind, you know. And um, and hip hop is different in that um, it, it it feeds on authenticity, right? There's no there's no room for a fabricated or created artist, at least in this age where social media will ultimately tell the truth, you know, so. So you're saying that it was sort of your strategy to stay away from the cameras early on. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it was just a lot going on and I wasn't there. Like I, I, I tell other people, I wasn't there to win. I was there to represent. You know, and represent means a specific thing. Winning, sometimes people be like, I'll win by any means. I'll do whatever. If the camera, if if more camera time means I have increased chances, well, I'm going to just do the song and dance. And that wasn't me. It was more so like, okay, you know, I've been successful as a teacher. You know what I'm saying? I've been successful as a writer. And I have real people that already support me that I have to represent. And in representing them, it's only, you know, I got to be myself. I got to be true to who people already understand me to be. And in certain spaces, there's no room for that. Like, if there's so much going on, I'll just get lost in the bunch. So I was like, all right, let me be on the other end of the camera. It was times when I'm looking back like, oh, that's a dope shot. You know what I'm saying? It was like, man, if you don't get your ass to the other side, you know. But um, but it it's worked sort of, out. It's sort of a, like an athlete's mentality because, you know, you go into the game. You can't control whether or not you win. But you can be the best that you can, you know, you can perform at your best. That's all that you can do. Absolutely. And saying, like, I wanted to represent, stand up for L.A., stand up for who I am. Um, and it's interesting but, yeah. that you weren't <laughs> focused on winning, but just, like, being the best of yourself. Right, exactly. Exactly. Because I, I didn't know what variables I would encounter. Like, you know, I didn't know if it was somebody there was just a, a phenomenal, incredible. And it was plenty of them, but just a rapper that's just like, oh, shoot. You know, I don't know, you know, but I knew what I had to offer and I knew in a certain context that uh, people would see it, you know. I think for a lot of people, emceeing is a sort of solitary gesture. Um, definitely folks on the show, it seemed to be like, this is what I do to get away from the pain of the streets of my home life. And when you took us home and you're at the piano with your family and everybody is doing music together, I was like, wow, like, Music is a different thing in his life. Like it bonds him with his family. Um, talk about how you know music has brought you together uh, with your family. What that does for your music, man. Um, my earliest memories are of you know my mom sitting me and my brothers around the piano and teaching us music theory from like you know where's how do you find middle C on the piano? How do you you know construct the chord? How do you go from major minor diminished? augmented chords, major seventh, all that. And then um, teaching us songs, Stevie Wonder songs and stuff. So um, it was her way of just depositing everything that she had to offer into us. And it happened to be during a time when Pops was locked up. You know what I'm saying? So it was more important that we had that outlet because once we got outside, it was kind of like a free for all in terms of like, you know, kids, they don't have no filter. They'd be like, your daddy in jail. You know what I'm saying? So then you just hop off and you fight you know, but at home. So it was just that duality. Um, music in the house was the therapy for all the crazy stuff that was going outside, you know, in the neighborhood, you know, us being the kids who everybody knew our pops was locked up. You know, it's no secret. 
you know, music theory is something that I think separates you from a lot of uh, people who are in hip hop who are you know, extremely musical, but maybe mm -hmm. don't know music theory. Um, right. Can you talk about how that background separates you and where, you know, where it goes into your music uh, to help give you, you know, a little energy or a little advantage over the next person's records? Right. Um, I think music theory is about understanding the connection between music and emotion and feelings, the feelings and emotions that it evokes, right? Like me uh, explicitly knowing what certain chords suggest, right? A major chord is, is happy. You know what I'm saying? If you add a major seventh, it's happy, but it's somewhat jazzy. It's a little bit more complex, you know, or hopeful than just playing out simple happiness, right? Minor chords are are a little darker, right? If you just play a straight up minor chord, it's like, oh, this is sad. But if you play a minor nine, it's, it's sad with a little bit of hope. So it's just when you when you understand music theory, it's like just a, a arsenal in your bag of places you can go, things you can experiment with, but still knowing the effect of it, not just blind experimentation in your music. So I think in a competitive setting like rhythm and flow. Um, it was just something that I could just immediately access and know how it was going to be received. Like I knew in the, in the, uh, in the sample round, I knew that uh, the chords that I was going to play and the, the tempo we decided to go with was going to be a complete change from what everybody else was going to do. Right. So, um, and that was my whole strategy. Like, you know, uh, stand out, do something that they're not going to see on this show. And it even worked even with me, you know, forget my lyrics and stuff like that. So music theory is just like, it's, it's, it's your bag of tricks that you can just dig right into, you know. But the beauty of it is the theory is just the framework. It still leaves you to play around within that, but you just know, um, you know, the history of music and how it's, how it's kind of evolved. Who was the, um, the rapper coach who was helping y'all? What was his name? King Lowe's. Now, how helpful was he? Because he was a really interesting character to me, and mm -hmm. I had never, I, I had never heard of him. He seemed to truly know what he was talking about and right. be able to be helpful to people. Um, but I'd never heard of that sort of a character within hip hop. So, right. I'm talking about how he helped you and some of the others get from A to B. Yeah. So King Los is an accomplished. Well, he's like a literal world rap battling champion um an accomplished writer for other artists and whatnot and so um his experience just gave him kind of a wealth of knowledge to offer in the creative stages and the performance stages and um and the thing is given the the short time frame that we had we didn't really have the time to build bonds prior to um <laughs> prior to him coming in and doing what he was doing and and, you know, people who have those experiences, it's no it's no mistake or no accident that they also had these big personalities because, you know, you've they've had to fend for themselves in these sometimes hostile environments. Um, I say all that to say when he came in the studio, we was button heads. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, hold on, bro. Like, you haven't taken the time to understand me and what I'm trying to do artistically. And you're already critiquing what I did. But I'm also not one to uh, ignore somebody's feedback. So given what direction I knew I was going in um, and what he told me, like where his suggestions, I still took it to heart. Like, for example, the, he gave me two really key pieces of advice 
that that round, the sample round, he told me, because uh, I had written the second verse first. And the second verse was, you know, grandma cooking the kitchen, looking a mess, reminiscing, knowing you blessed, in a vision, God, you, I smell violence and violence, sugar and silence. So he was like, it's dope. You got one day to learn it and it's worthy. So, you know what I'm saying? So then, then I was like, okay. Um, I kept the verse. It's not like I scratched the verse, but I just put it second. And then, then I went back and wrote the first verse and was like, incredibly gifted. You can't beat me with a baseball bat. I'm from a place where you better be different. You know, and it allowed it to build, right? And so then once I had the song, he's like, man, I don't know. They're going to come up with bangers and jumping around the stage and giving them energy. So if you're going to choose to do a slow song, make it theatrical. I was like, okay, for sure. We're going to stumble out on the stage drunk, you know, with this beat. And then once the beat cuts down, we're going to stand up and, and own that presence and if it's going to slow down, I'm going to slow down to where it's just a dramatic type situation. So, and plus the change of clothes and things like that. So, um, I did take his advice. Um, there were times in the earlier rounds where I took part of it, but I was like, I'm, I'm going to do me, you know what I'm saying? But, uh, of course I was still listening and I'm always comparing it by what I know I want to accomplish with that song. Um, you do really another thing that you have in your bag of of tactics is the Spanish, and you're always yeah. looping in a couple of bars of Spanish and everything. Um, and it doesn't feel like a tactic to get the Spanish speaker. It's like this is my right. culture. I'm from LA. Right. My homies speak English and Spanish, and I throw some of that in and then keep it moving. And as an English only speaker, I don't feel lost when he dips into Spanish for, you know, four bars or something. Um, talk about, you know, why you always want to include some Spanish and what you're doing there and, you know, why you make the choice to let me do this in Spanish and not in English. Right. Um, I, I mean, I think you said it in, in a lot of ways. It's, it's L.A. You're not going to be outside in L.A. and not hear it, like, period. You know, and um, there were times where I went to a all Spanish speaking school and um, and I had to adjust, you know. So um, I just think the part of the culture that is challenging is that uh, that the adjustment only happens one way. We're, we're so quick to challenge people like, hey, you're here, learn this. But everywhere else in the world, it's an exchange. It's a cultural exchange There is to, to force somebody only to learn our version of it is to deny all the cultural wealth that's within that, you know, group of people. Right. So, um, I just think, you know, I dabble at it enough to show people that, you know, you know, this is a real part of LA, but half the time I'm translating myself. So I'll say something and then talk about that very thing that I was talking about. Um, with the exception of certain rounds, I did an entire verse of 16 straight bars of Spanish, you know, and, um, and so just just and that was that's intentional as well to say, like, look, it's not a gimmick. Like we can go all the way there. I can do an entire I will do an entire project in Spanish, you know, um, at some point. So um, that that was its, its own demonstration. But, um, yeah, I was a Spanish teacher as well. So, no, <laughs> um, yeah, I taught Spanish at high school for like uh off and on for 10 years. You know, I was taking breaks. I'd gone on tour and things like that. But you got yeah. a lot of academic in you, a lot of teacher yeah. background. That's um, it's 
very interesting in terms of giving you a training for how to relate to uh, an audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, teaching was the real, you said training, it was the training grounds. Like, um, if you can be successful in the classroom, I think you can be successful anywhere. Like, it's, and especially in an inner city high school, like, it's, it'll test you. You know, I, excellent teachers have days where they leave feeling absolutely defeated. And I'm no exception to that. Like, you go in with an intention, and the students come in with a completely different intention, and you're thoroughly outnumbered, you know? And, and so, but then you, then you have days, humbling days, where it's like, I was tired, and I went in there, and I kind of winged it, but it turned out to be one of my best lessons ever. You know, so there's both a science and an art form to teaching. You know, that's, that's the, the basic part. The basic principle that'll make you successful is how can I create connections? Like, how can I create lasting connections today and, you know, the days that follow? You know, so um, there was a book that I that I kind of lived by as a teacher, which is First Days. And it was like the art of starting out you know, the school year, which is like, um, it's really just talking about acknowledging the wealth of experiences and knowledge that the students come into the classroom with. And Mm -hmm. it's usually about themselves, their family, their community, and, you know, just simple things that you, you know, teachers so often come in and be like, I'm going to give you all this stuff. When the students already know what they want and who they are. So it's like, let's spend maybe even eight weeks just diving into that, comparing that, exchanging that with each other. And then I offer some of that of my own so that when I say, now, this is what I'm trying to give you. It's not like blank slate. It's like, this is how all that I want to offer you connects to all of the stuff that you've already given me. So um, in performance, that whole strategy, um, a lot of times you left to make certain assumptions, right? You don't, you don't come in knowing who your audience is, but you know, there's, there are ways to kind of make some safe assumptions of who's in the crowd, you know? And so, um, you know, I could talk forever about teaching, but it, it definitely- <laughs> That's the mark of a good teacher. Yeah, it, it's definitely a, a informs my approach to how I'm performing, any, more so in the writing stage of my, uh, of my creative process. I want to talk about your writing process, but I want to dip into a couple other things first. Um, okay. You got $250,000 winning the show. I did. Talk about- in terms of your professional usage of the money, how did you use the money to push your career forward? Well, I've always, what's always been important to me is creating uh, films that tell the story, you know, that live long beyond the life of, you know what I'm saying? Me, the project, whatever, like these visuals, I think are a powerful tool in distinguishing myself from other artists. So, you know, um, I, I, I released a project, Inglewood High. A lot of the traveling that we did to promote that project, the press run, that was stuff that we did out of pocket, traveling with my team. You know, the, you know we took on some shows and, and things like that. Um, but then the, the visuals that we put out, I put out the uh, Little Red video, uh, video and then the Honey Jack video. And I worked with some really dope uh, directors for that. Then um, I also just kind of, Bless the family a little bit, you know, mom and dad took care of them. You know, my mom's last birthday, we bought her a grand piano. Just a couple of things. And then um, you know, looking to set up the the scholarship fund, which was kind of 
a little bit complicated given the COVID situation and how we wanted to roll it out at the school, but um, a scholarship fund for the, some students coming from Inglewood High School. So we we made a couple plays. I, uh, I'm still driving, still driving my Honda. You know what I'm saying? I I ain't uh, put my money in something that was going to lose value as soon as I drove it off the lot. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? So um, mainly, mainly music videos. Mainly music videos, travel, and then just having a reserve for when, you know, when things come up, you know. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. The I watched the Gaspar Yanga video. Gaspar Yanga, yes. It's an interesting video because yes. you know, I, I, I like you, you know, I, I like the moment you're getting shot, you rhyming while you're being Thanks. dragged on the ground. <laughs> That's very interesting and dramatic coming back from the dead. You, you, you got to explain to me what you're talking about in this video because you pull off some gangster shit, 
you roll up in the house, you know, you burn everybody to death, and then yeah. you just leave. And I was like, is there going to be some resolution? They get caught, they run it back, they, no, we right. just killed everybody in the house and left. Like, what? Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, well, one, we leave it to the audience to decide whether I burn the people to death. I, I definitely shut down the trap house. That was that was how we viewed it, and um, I don't know if a lot of people made the um, the connection between the fact that these dudes are selling my loved ones drugs, so it's like we not having that. And then in addition to that, it's like with me confronting you, I get shot. You know what I'm saying? So it's like no, there isn't. And I think we're we're the people that we're up against have no remorse, right? But we're supposed to be politically correct in how we address them. Like, no, shut the motherfuckers down. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, and and you know, I got homies whose mode of thought was, you know, it was by any means necessary if if you know if the cause is right. So, um, I think that's what we wanted to reflect, and we intentionally steered away from trying to do a PC version of what it meant to take on drug dealers, you know, in your neighborhood, you know? Um, so I think that was the intention. It wasn't so much that I got killed and came back from the dead. It was more so, um, it was more so I got hit, blacked out a little bit. Okay. I came to, you know what I'm saying? Once I doctored up my wounds, it was like, what's the move? You know? So, um, uh, of course, a lot of that, a lot of that is for, uh, uh effect is for, you know, it's to be memorable. And um, the idea is like, my creative process was, all right, we got to fuck some shit up. How do we make it make sense? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's right. it's the energy in the song. It's already a war energy in the song. Even though that that Bulgarian, uh, it's a Bulgarian girls choir sample. And it's, it's really about a young woman's coming of age. But somehow the energies, if you don't speak the language, the energy for everyone says like, it's a war cry. You know what I'm saying? So if we're going to go to war, if we're going to maintain that energy, what is it for? What are we defending? And um, and so between me and Sergio, who um, also directed Nip- Nipsey Hussle's videos um, for all of this stuff for the marathon, um, it was a conversation around like, how do we capture that? How do we make it uh, align with what I stand for as an artist? You know, so then it was like, OK, family, defending the family. If somebody was to threaten your family in a certain way. How would you deal with that? So, um, I mean, so but yeah, so it's, much, not, it's not PC. So much of what you stand for as an artist is L.A. You are very deeply L.A. culturally, sonically. I want to talk about L.A. with you. Um, were you, I mean, let's go back to the, be, I mean, like, were, were you ever in a gang? Did you ever get tempted or, or sort of try to get brought into something? Okay, so my my older brother is in a gang, like an official Inglewood gang, right? Which, um, I'm what, from a crew. What is his set? His set. He's a blood. I'm, I just put it that way. He's a blood. Well, he's from Inglewood families. So my oldest brother, uh, Ron Ron, and I, people get it confused because I have two older brothers. My oldest brother, who's 11 years older than me, Ron Ron, he's from Inglewood families, and um, he's been like when when pops was locked up for us. It was between the ages of four, like like three and nine. For him, it was like 14 and 20. You know what I'm saying? So it's a different set of years. So, you know, he's out banging. Um, we doing our thing. Pops comes home, you know, throughout 
when I was young, of course, you, you can't escape the culture. So by nature of him being there, I'm exposed to it. Um, I run with my own crew throughout high school. You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's the people around my set of crew around my age and our big homies, which is structured a lot like a gang, but it's just not scaled the same way and, uh, and not set up to where it's like we got these enemies and I'm expected to, you know, take on this war again. Like, it wasn't like that. It was more so like, if something is brought to you, we got your back kind of thing. So, um, you're protecting each other. Exactly. And, but and not so offensive. Right, exactly. And, and and there was no expectation of me, like, doing no dumb shit. It was really like, don't do no dumb shit. If you need support, holler at us, you know? So I think that was the main distinction. But um, what what they or we were prepared to do was no different given, you know, our environment. You know, it was just that they, they recognized that, you know, we got talent, we're smart, we're not just knuckleheads. So, you know, we support you in doing that. So um, that was the extent of my affiliation, you know, you know, with my brother knowing, I mean, but by the, by the time I hit 16 and I'm moving through the city, we know everybody in the city and they, they know of us. So it's like, but before 16, I'm getting banged on all the time, you know? So it's just the nature of being a young teenager and wanting to be cool, you know? Was there pressure to be, to, to join the Bloods because your brother was there? Nah, nah, it wasn't pressure to join the Bloods. If I'd have, if I'd have taken it as such, like if I was so threatened that I'd have been like, man, look, man, I want to be cool with y'all because y'all keep sweating me. Then I could have made that decision, but it wasn't like, oh, you need to you need to push the line. You know what I'm saying? Like my thing is it's it's just the pressure, the only pressure is pressure to prove yourself. So the way me and my brothers operated is that like we always we always caught fair fades. You know what I'm saying? We always ran head ups at school in the neighborhood. And it's like that would keep people off of you as much as anything. You know what I'm saying? Like look, I don't have to join the gang. We can run it, run a fair one. Then it's a, just mutual respect, you know? So, um, but no, nobody said you got to join the gang or else. That, that wasn't me. When you say run a fair one is being a New, a New Yorker. You just mean like, we just decide we're going to fist up and, 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 yes. and, you know, and, and we just do yep. that. Like, not like, you know, we're going to shoot each other. Like, exactly. Run a fair one. Like, all right, get out in the street. Knuckle up. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> somebody count somebody go down they let them get back up run it run it back you know what i'm saying and then um and then afterwards it's like you good okay cool well that's that you know so or, so, I mean, so how are you with the hands you win oh, most no, I'm of super those solid i'm yeah. super solid from here i'm the man no and i but i also had a background in like martial arts and boxing and stuff so that's why it was like when Pops came home, they put us right into boxing and martial arts because we were fighting in school all the time. So then next thing you know, me and all my brothers, sir included, were in tournaments, you know, winning trophies for, for fighting, you know. So when it came to Inglewood, by the time we teenagers, it's like, look, you know, because a lot of times people join gangs for different reasons. Broken support systems at home, born into gangs, like fam- their fathers are gang members, so they're kind of like into it. Um, but then some people join it because out of fear, you know what I'm saying? Not every gang member is a gangster. You know, to me, a gangster has implies a certain degree of courage, heart, discipline, all that stuff. Whereas gang membership, a lot of times it's 
some of these dudes in the hoods are liabilities, you know. So, um, and I've seen them. I, I've, I've, I can point out a coward amidst the crowd. You know what I'm saying? So, um, I think, yeah, <laughs> for us, it, we, you know, a lot of that pressure kind of just subsided after they realized, okay, they're not, they're not busters, you know. Hmm. Um, so let's talk about LA creatively because there's an incredible hip hop tradition out of LA. And, you know, I know you got the relationship with Snoop. I know I can hear some of the Kendrick influence in your sound. I, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you know, I always loved Ice Cube, you know, game. Talk about L.A. hip hop, the L.A. hip hop that you love and what you pulled from that to build the rapper that you are. Gotcha. Um, the L.A. hip hop that really connected with me early um was like DJ Battle Cat and Corrupt and Snoop, you know. You know, first rap I learned, you know, was with so much drama in the LBC. It's kind of hard being Snoop you know, but then um then when when and that was kind of like sneaking to listen to the radio because I was in a really Christian household. And then um, but then you know, when my older brother lived with me, he put me up on Outcast. So you had that Southern kind of influence and that lyricism and that kind of intellectual rap mixed with that gangster rap of like corrupt, you know, you know, bounce, rock, roll, escape, dipping, hitting switches with, you know, and people see walking and stuff, you know, so that's what really drew me to like, I was at Inglewood High sea walking just because I like to dance and I like all the shit that the dog pound was doing. And then the Bloods, you know, this in the ninth grade, the Bloods was like, Hey, blood, we not gonna have that, homie. Like you doing the, you doing the whoop whoop, and I'm like, it's just a dance, you know. They like, nah, homie, you know. So um, <laughs> it was just that balance of like, yeah, my brother's from over here, but the music for a second, the West Coast music, because before Game, you know, before YG, we had Mac Ten, and he was our dude out of Inglewood, you know, backyard boogie and all that. But even before Mac Ten, it was like Snoop, you know, Dre you know, uh, Dub C, you know, all these people that are just repping, like, super cripping in their music, but it was just, it was so well produced. Like, DJ Battle Cat is one of those dudes that's like a G, but he's also, like, thoroughly musically influenced by, uh, like, funk and all this stuff. So he just did something dope for the West Coast sound, you know? And so that's what really influenced me. And I got Battle Cat on the project. I got Snoop on the project. You know, Battle Cat produced uh, Sunkiss Child. You know, so um, so those were my West Coast influences, man. Is it, I mean, it, do you hear what I hear when I say, like, I hear some of the the, set, the sonic notion, nature of Kendrick in your mm-hmm. sound? Sort of like maybe something deeper in the throat, like where you kind of come from, just in the sound of the voice. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Um, not, not typically, because I'm, I'm, doing me but i um not that you're trying but right knowing knowing um a lot about how because i you know i've spent some time with tde working with my brother he signed a tde knowing how the projects came about knowing what the creative process was we opened up for them like years in 2012 or 2011 um we're influenced by a lot of similar things and from the same place so there's there's some similarity there like Andre 3000 was in the studio with him 
during a lot of the creation of uh of Good Kid Mad City. You know, and for me, I like if there's any one rapper that I know a grip of their verses, it's like Andre 3000, you know, and it, you know, rightfully so, he's one of the greats. So yeah. um in that regard, I think what we aim to do in music, through music and through the movements that we create around our music, I think is similar in, in that sense. So um and perhaps we even share some of the same influences creatively, one of them being Andre 3000, you know, the corrupts, the, you know, people, the legends off the West. So pop, you know. Can you, so can you give me a top five LA MC list for you personally? Top five LA. I'm gonna go Pac. Ooh. I'm gonna go Snoop. Corrupt. Uh, Ice Cube. Okay. Fox Snoop Corrupt. Ice Cube. No. <laughs> Fox Snoop Corrupt. Ice Cube. And uh, I feel like Corrupt and Daz are in the same boat, but I'm going to go Daz Dillon. Mm, mm. Interesting. Interesting that Kendrick is in, is in the top five. No, now you ask me influences. Are you talking about greatest? Well, I, well, well. You said influences. I, I, I thought we were so talking the about greatest. Is, me, the thing is, Kendrick is still current, relevant, yeah. and current. You know what I'm saying? So, an artist's goal is to not be closely influenced by yes, as current artists. You know what I'm saying? Um, give me a give me an overall top five. Everybody okay. included. Oh, okay. everybody included. Whole country. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go. Jay Z. Mm. This is not in order. Do I gotta go in order? I mean, the order is part of the thing. But if you can't, you don't. Know, <sighs> All you right, let's go. Andre three thousand. Oh, stacks number one. Stacks number one. Let's go. Jay Z. Okay. Let's go. Corrupt. Okay. Let's go. We're just doing rappers, right? Yeah. As okay. opposed to what? Artists. No, it's, it's, it's rappers. Because MCs. MCs, okay. Andre 3000, Jay-Z, Corrupt. It's tough. Snoop and Q. Interesting. Such a tough list. Tough. It's tough. It's tough. tough Cube is, Cube's in my top five. Jay 3000 is up there. Respect that you love Pac. I lived through the Pac era. I interviewed Pac a couple of times. I thought that he was an amazing human being. Yes, an amazing, an amazing, amazing actor, amazing person, amazing presence on the planet. I felt like just music. I'm like. And like I know, he was, like, he was a figure. He yeah. was a figure. I know and the Pac lovers are throwing stuff at the screen. Like, what are you talking about, money? Right, right, right. But I'm like, yo, I think there's a lot. I think for the number of people we, who hold him number one, there's a lot of MCs who outwrap him. Right, but see, and that that's if we allow the criteria for rap to be like, you know, wordplay, choice of, you know, what I'm saying, delivery, this, that. If we develop that criteria. 
then of course Eminem is gonna be and Eminem is in, in my top ten too. There's so many people that it's like I came in. Um Eminem, Kendrick, that you know, you have the people who rap impressively. Yes. But it's like impressive, doing something impressively is not necessarily doing it connectively. Like people connect to shit that I might not be impressed with. Cube is a prime example of that. Cube never follows nobody's criteria on how to impress you with his flow. He's not going to win a battle, but he going, you know, he's going to be a mogul, you know? So I think that's where Pac wins, you know? Oh, that, so that makes a lot um, of sense that Pac so many people connect with him. And I, that's where I feel like I won on rhythm and flow. Like I wasn't necessarily trying to out rap everybody. I was just trying to out be everybody, outdo everybody. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, um, that I think that's where Pop wins. If we if we're gonna do bar for bar, you know what I'm saying, Pop. And you know what I'm saying, but but Pop had an ability to write from his heart, and you never questioned where it's coming from. So no, then you just connected. That's real. That he connected to the audience. That people love him like they love Malcolm X. Period. Is he yeah. giving you? Double entendres and flipping flows and like lyrics on lyric. No, that's not him. Cube, like this cube's the same way. He's not giving you double entendres and and internal rhymes and all that stuff. But I feel the description of when he says, Yeah, we stomp that nigga out. I'm like, I see it like a movie. I feel it. I feel you there. Right. I just watched Above the Rim the other day. Okay. And um just watching Pac, it's like he he's he's such a good actor, like an incredible actor. Yes. And and it's almost like he's like so many roles he played the horror film version of the black man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm coming to get you, nigga. Like Juice. <laughs> right, Juice, <laughs> but he he was that and above the rim too. I didn't even realize it. Like True, true. He's like, you know, he sliced Bernie Mac down, <laughs> you know, <laughs> rest in peace. But um, so I think, yeah, he just, he just, like you said, he took. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrivemarket.com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamin a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi Secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from Tinderfoot TV Campside Media and iHeart Podcasts Radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
going so much. And um, and it, it made him powerful. So it made people want to listen. He was the man of the time. Oh, you yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. So. No, he was definitely the man of his era. And we couldn't not think about him because he was constantly, you know, shots fired here, fight over here, crazy comment over here, doing something crazy in a restaurant, amazing single. But it's, right. it's, I was just, it was Pac world for a little while. Right. Um, uh, <laughs> talk to me about your writing process. How do you write? Uh, what do you, what do you do? Um, it varies. Like, uh, I used to love writing on the freeway. Like I used to write in traffic, like talking into my phone, put on a beat and talking to my phone and brainstorm. Like I like being in motion. Of course that's changed a lot in quarantine. Um, but, um, I'll put on a beat, I'll pace. Um, when I love a beat, like sometimes I'm not gonna lie, sometimes stuff comes to me and I'll just have this like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm in it. Other times kind of in order to inspire creativity, I'll start to like freestyle a little bit. You know, sometimes it's gibberish. Sometimes it's actual words. Sometimes it's gibberish. And then I'll fall in love with the word. Like, because that stuck with me, I'm going to build things around it because I imagine that that same word is going to stick with the audience, even if it's a random word. Like, you know, uh, I did. I had a song and I didn't even put it out, but a word that stuck in that beat, it was, I said, pomegranate. You know what I'm saying? Then I was like, pomegranate, what I'm going to do? How am I going to make that make sense? So, but then I was like, pomegranate, red cups in the air, throw it underhanded. You're fed if you're scared, better understand it. You looked off, we took off and never landed. You know what I'm saying? Talking about a celebration coming from a place where people wear red, you know? So then when I go back, I tell the story of Inglewood. See, I grew up in a town where everything red, followed all the brother where the everything said, like money up a bitch is thinking everything red. In reality, we're hand-me-downs because everything shared, you know? Mm-hmm. So... Um, but I, I started with that word pomegranate cause I just liked how one, I felt like nobody ever was in a rap. So I'm talking about pomegranate, you know what I'm saying? You know, and then you have songs just like that may not even make that much sense. And I feel like as an artist, I want it to make sense, but some people be like, I chose the word that sounded good and people rock with it, period. You know, panda, you know, so sometimes it's like you play around till you come up with something that's different enough and challenging enough to for you to build around. You know what I'm saying? Interesting that example, you're doing something that I love when MCs rhyme words that don't really rhyme, but just mm-hmm. the way you flip it, the way you add to it, the way you pronounce it makes it rhyme. And that's mm-hmm. when you take it to another level. Like I couldn't have just pulled this out of a rhyming dictionary, but I went, I took the language and I bent it to my will. And, um, I, you know, I love that. I love that. That's the art form. That's where it's at right there. Um, how do you practice as an MC? Man, um, the best practice is making, creating when there's no inspiration, creating out of a discipline, you know, and then sometimes, and you send it out, share it. You, when you get bad feedback, there's no better, there's no better inspiration than bad feedback. Like, oh shit, it sucked. Nobody fucked with it. I gotta create something else. You know, so, um, I've, I've been writing as a, as just a part of my day, you know what I'm saying? Um, and so if, if I do something every day and then every three days I do something that I'm in love with, then I'm on pace, you know? Um, I think that the, the mistake people make is like, I'm reading a book, the artist's way. 
And it said, even if one of the practices that it, um, that it recommends or it even assigns, it's like, this is your homework, is uh, morning pages where you write three pages a day. You don't judge yourself. It turn, try to turn off the voice that's criticizing what you write. If you can't turn off the voice, write what that voice is saying. So you just like are just literally free flowing, three pages. And then, um, and so that's one good practice that I want to adopt. But then when I'm coming up with raps, it's like I'll, um, I'll write stuff and share it. And if I don't get that feedback, then it's like, cool, I must be on pace. A lot of people beat themselves up over the, the, the product, but the process is get that, get that shit up out of you. Because as long as you keep getting that shit out of you, you're going to come across the gems. You know what I'm saying? But if you, if you look at it as if, damn, I'm coming up with wax stuff, so I'm not on pace, then you further censor yourself in the writing process. And you, you're and allowing that some of what you create, even two-thirds of what you create, won't be that good to get to that one-third that's really good. And you allow that. that you allow that. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, man, I started off this project that I'm working on with Man, on fire. Like I was like eight in a row. I was like, Ooh, I'm in a zone. Right. Then I got to a place where it's like, where do we go from here? Now you, now you have songs that you love. How do you top them? You know, how do you do something different? That's not there, you know? So then it got a little bit more, more complex. And, um, so I had to get into that space where it's like experiment to the point where you might hate it. Cause if, if you don't hate it and you were willing to hate it, then you might've stumbled across something new and amazing you know so um it's just accepting each stage of that process and you know i remember years back when i first built the studio at my parents house i had this song uh called gangster and i played it for everybody and i did the beat and i sung the hook and all this stuff and niggas didn't say shit while it was playing soon as it stopped everybody busts up laughing laughing like that shit is trash, smoke. Like you, it's terrible. I was like, and the only thing I could come up with or think in my head was like, cool. The next one ain't though. You know what I'm saying? So it's just it's that determination to accept those parts of the process. Mm. What you think about what is the what is the rapper's purpose in a fan's life? What mm. what purpose do you serve or Snoop or whoever? I'm a fan of that person. What Got purpose you. do you serve in my life? Gosh, well, personally, I believe in the power of words, and I'm assuming that. And when you say fan, I'm gonna I'm think of devout fans, right? I was yeah, a devout yeah. fan of Outcast. Yeah. So I say, I say Outcast verses. Anything that you recite is going to inherently shape part of your psyche, your understanding of yourself and the world around you. So, you know, so it's either gonna free you to be honest with yourself, like Andre 3000 said. Uh, fascinated by the way your nipples peek at me through your blouse. Freaky me, freaky you, can't help but be aroused. Excuse me, Lord, lustful thinking, but that was the way we was brought up. Sneaking to watch Playboy at night, we all must be caught up in worldly ways. Chemistry between boys and girls is a lot like when we went to the woods and laid with the squirrels during P.E. We beat. So it's just things about, it's a conversation that parents don't know how to have sometimes, right? So that, as frivolous as that might seem to somebody else, it's like, okay, that's helping me understand what's happening inside of me as a young 
teenager with changing hormones. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I'm assuming that people are reciting my lyrics, helping them understand themselves, whether it be they identify with part of my experience or, um, or you get like, I, I like Jay-Z stuff because you could talk yourself out of feeling bad listening to some Jay-Z. A lot of people are hard on the, uh, uh, are hard on the braggadocious rap, you know, but Jay is like, you know, when you up against so much, you want to feel like, man, you niggas ain't deep, you dumb. You niggas ain't gangster, you gum. I chew little niggas, you spew little niggas. I can only view little niggas like little niggas. But in lieu of little niggas trying to play that boy, I pew, pew, little niggas with the latest toy. Unlike you, little nigga, I'm a grown ass man. Big shoes to fill, nigga, grown ass pants. Probably hustle with your pops, go ask your parents. It's apparent y'all staring at a legend. Boop. Put a few little niggas in their place before. Like, you saying stuff that's like, you want people to feel like that. You want people to feel like there's no opposition that they can't overcome. So I feel like that is a, it's, it's not conscious as we understand it. Like, let me tell you about the ills and our plight as black people. But it's like, man, the kid in the hood needs to hear that. You know, even Jay-Z said all he want to hear is his boy talk fly when he when he's talking to his dude in the feds. You know, that's that escape, you know. So um, I forget what the question was. But, oh, what I want people to do. I want to give them the stuff that when they say it, it's it's a complex or well-rounded set of affirmations, whether it be this is what the world looks like, this is the true view version, like it's a it realigns my perspectives to something that's more honest than some bullshit. Because there's plenty of bullshit out there too, right? It realigns my perspectives and it helps me view myself in a higher light, you know. You remind me of something that uh, KRS-One once said to me that rap songs are like confidence sandwiches and you sort of put them in figuratively in your mouth and when you say the things that the rapper is saying, you feel the confidence that the MC had and it yep. gives you that confidence to face your day, to deal with your you know, feeling bad, to go play the game or do your workout or whatever it is. And yep. it's not even just like the empowerment you're talking about, but also just the vibrations of saying something where you feel like I'm the man and it, right. it rumbles through the listener. Um, and, and you're talking about that same sort of empowerment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, and the, the, the challenge is to do it within, uh, within honest context. You know, you, you don't want to inflate motherfuckers that ain't on that level because then you got these big ass egos with nothing to back it up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> People feeling real tough. You get fake gangsters and shit. Like it's the the challenge is to do it, you know, within context. And, you know, I think the most responsible and most creative artists are able to do that. What's the difference between a good MC and a great MC? The difference between a good MC and a great MC: a good MC entertains. Okay. A great MC entertains honestly. Okay. It's like and keep it keeps it within context. Like everybody can be like, well, it's honest that exists, but then. Is it, are you taking it out of context? You know, so there's a lot of good MCs and good MCs can be the most successful at a certain point in time. The great MCs aren't always the most successful of their time. But True. True. Great. True. You, know? you heal, it'll, it'll, it'll pick up over time that we exactly. realize who they were. Exactly. Jay-Z he, didn't put out his first till he was 26 and didn't get pop until his fourth or fifth. 
you know, the type of popping that we know of. It took a little, yeah, it took a little bit. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I remember loving the first one and bumping, uh, feeling it, and like, you know, listening to shoot, talk about shooting his brother, and feeling like, damn, it's a shame he's only gonna do one album because he's dope. Because right, <laughs> right, that was right, his whole yeah. thing from the beginning. I'm not a rapper. This is just a hobby for me. I'm just gonna do one of these and go back to my real world. And, uh, uh, you know, at least in New York, at least in Brooklyn, it was already like, yo, this dude is special. You know, he had a single with Mary, with, with Foxy Brown. Um, that was like, yo, this dude is, this dude is something. This dude is special. Special. Uh, um, I like that word. Um, do you feel a responsibility to your ancestors and your predecessors, you know, in your family, on the mic? And how does that show up in your work? Absolutely. It's a, it's a profound responsibility to, um, to my family and my legacy primarily. Um, but yes, ancestors, predecessors, the, the greater legacy of hip hop. Um, part of that responsibility is to do something new, you know, that because hip hop moves culture. So um, do something new that drives the culture forward, challenges people to think higher and differently. And entertains. Um, I think the more you entertain, the more, the broader or further your movement can go. You know, so, um, but yes. And I have, I feel a responsibility to my former students. You know, people that have walked with me day in, day out and seen the real smoke. You know, when the door closes and I don't really have that much energy, but I'm, I'm giving the last that I have to try to make sure that there's, that I create a, a memorable experience for the students. So, you know, that's I think that uh that kind of shaped me into the artist that I am and and you know I I write with those experiences and those people in mind. So I usually ask people because I think if you really look deep into the emotional well of most people, at deep in the bottom is you're either scared, angry, or sad. Where does I'm that? Angry. <laughs> okay, I'm tell, angry. I'm tell me, tell me about angry. that for you. I'm angry right now. I'm, I'm I'm upset. I feel like when when you really begin to uh, ask questions, that like the question that got me upset first is like, why are things the way they are? Right? Why? How did we get here? Especially as a black man, what caused us as a community and as a culture to be this way? You know, what makes gangster rap more lucrative when Aretha used to have the biggest deal on the label. Like it used to be something like the major artists were the ones with something to say and they were the ones with the funds. Why is it that um, all our soul artists are independent and have these distribution deals? You know, why is it that communities have drugs and guns in them when we don't have the factories? You know, so it's just so many questions that... um, that make me angry because then it's like, this is not, things are not accidental. Now the question is, uh, why is it, to who is it, to whom is it lucrative for people to be sick? Right? And motherfuckers don't want to ask those kind of questions. Why, when people have been sick and people have been making money all of a sudden, I mean, for a long time, why all of a sudden is extreme measures being taken in the name of health? when they haven't before who's going to make money like 
So when when we start asking questions, that's when um, that's when, you know, it, it you you either deny it like, man, fuck that you're doing too much or you get angry because it, it means this shit ain't accidental. You know what I'm saying? So well, maybe I'm talking, getting too deep, though. Well, no, not at all. I mean, when you talk about, um, when you talk about, you know, being angry and asking questions like, why is the world the way it is? I wonder, Who's making money is always the most interesting question to ask. Yeah. Who is profiting? But I, did, I wonder about four-year-old, five-year-old you starting to I pro, imagine you were probably like four when you were like where's dad and how come yep. he's not ever here anymore I remember he used to be here and now he's not and right. like getting the explanation I'm sure your mother gave it to you straight like this is where he is and this is why and he'll be back one day but not for a while like what right. was that realization like and is that the sort of the seed of the anger you're talking about absolutely absolutely that's where it all started when I when I first realized like Oh shoot! This is my experience, and it's not like everybody else's. They're they got their fathers at home, you know what I'm saying? Or in the next home, if it's like a, a family, uh, you know. But and and it forced me to learn about a lot of stuff early. I had to learn about crack <laughs> at six, you know what I'm saying? Six year olds weren't learning about addiction, you know what I'm saying, and what it meant. So, um, but yeah, that's that's where it started. That's where angry. And I learned that early that anger is fuel. And even in that, the book that I referenced, The Artist's Way, um, it's like anger is not bad. You know, even biblically, it's like be angry and sin not. It's like what you do with it might be bad. Like niggas usually associate anger with doing something stupid, right? But I love the feeling of anger because I know what that can inspire for me, you know? Um. So what's your superpower? What is the thing that you do that you have within you that allows you, that you do better than other people that allows you to have had the success that you've had? To adapt and to adjust and to, to grow, to challenge myself. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people protect themselves. I'm not protecting myself. I'll sub- subject myself to some extreme circumstances in the name of growing. Whether it be physical, like working out, or whether it be like, you know, if I have to leave to go somewhere where I'm not comfortable, you know, I think my my ability to adjust and subject myself to the challenges that'll cause me to grow, I think that's my superpower. Thanks so much to D Smoke for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, and Gerville Calais. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down.
We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.